appreciate it. So happy Father's Day. I'm not going to preach a, a Father's Day sermon today. Uh, I feel to stay with the theme of prayer that I have been preaching about. And I'll preach under this title, The Power of Prayer. The Power of Prayer. The Power of Prayer. And I'm going to, most likely, I will end up in Revelation chapter 8. If you want to pull out your Bible and put your finger in there, we will get there eventually. Uh, but I'm going to lay a little foundation. We live in a, a secular society. A secular society where humanity not God, has become the measure of all things. In recent years, I've noticed that when tragedy, and maybe you've noticed this too, tragedy happens and hits our country or our city or, or some other place. Of course, social media blows up, right? People are posting about the event, and it usually includes a post of prayers for, or I'm praying for. And that's positive. I think that's very good. Similar posts. That's, I think that's warranted. It's, it's great. But I've also noticed there's always, it seems like, someone who will post, we don't need prayers, we need, and whatever action that they feel like is really necessary. Legislation or answers, we need answers, or we need someone to take action. In other words, to pray is simply too little. It's just too little. And, and I've seen this kind of in uh, the world developing, that prayer is presented as inaction. It's passive. It's passively waiting on some higher power to step in. It's, it's doing little. It's not a serious thing that we must be given to. It's, it's something you do if you're going to sit on the sideline and not take action. It's understandable that the world sees time spent in prayer as ineffective. After all, if you have very little faith in a God, why would you think prayer is something that is powerful? But what's surprising to me is how many Christians see prayer this way. If we saw prayer as God sees prayer, we would pray. There would be no challenge to setting aside time to pray. There would be no missed days of prayer. There would be no activity not covered with prayer. There would be no decisions made without first having consulted God in prayer. And I think for the Christian, we have got to shift the paradigm in our own minds that is placed upon us that prayer is powerful. Prayer does something. And that is my point today. It's to this point that I would preach this morning, the unseen power of prayer. You may not see it, you may not see immediate results, but there is something that happens when you pray. First, we need to understand God's perspective. It's, it's always been that God looks at things from a perspective that is humanly invisible. We cannot see as God sees. I'll freely admit that today. Uh, when I was younger, I used to think every minister who came through would know the, all the negative thoughts, my doubts, and my fears, my sins even, that were going on in my life. And now, as a minister, I can assure you that if I stumble upon anything that is touching you in your life right where you're at, 
it's blindly because God is just using me as a vessel. It's not because I have any God visibility or special insight. It's just simply that I've stumbled into it like Joseph going backwards into Egypt. That's how I end up there. So let's get it clear and understand. God measures differently than you and I do. We can't see from his perspective. One of the great failures that we can be susceptible to is to believe that God's perspective is our perspective. That what I see is what God sees. And I take God and I make him in my image instead of trying to take my image and fashion it like God. I look and I think, well, what I'm seeing is what God sees. God sees things the way I see things. Nothing could be further from the truth. God chose David because he looked on the heart. But in the eyes of Samuel, the older brothers were more desirable. They were strong. They represented what was going to be a great leader in the kingdom of Israel. But God said, that, that's not the one I want. That's not the one I've chosen. Why? Because God's unique perspective encompasses both time and eternity. God looks at the heart as well as the actions of a person and measures them. It's both. It's the heart and the actions. And it's easy to fool people with actions, but God sees the heart. This is only one of many biblical illustrations that could be given on how God sees differently than you and I. So I'm always careful whenever I'm trying to judge situations in life. God, what do you see? Because I have limited perspective in what I can see. If we would see life as God sees it, we'd understand the significance of the invisible. We'd understand the significance of the unseen thing that has results, that we're not aware the results have happened. Sometime even the results remain hidden to us throughout our lifetime, but when we have prayed, that prayer has done something. Paul, writing to the Ephesians, encourages them and us to take up the whole armor of God. Why? Why? Because you cannot see where the enemy will bring the next attack. That's what he says. He says the conflict is invisible. It's hidden from your view. Ephesians 6 and 12. We do not wrestle against flesh and blood. The thing you think you're fighting against is not what you're fighting against. You're fighting against principalities, against powers, against the rulers of darkness of this age, against spiritual hosts of wickedness in heavenly places. In essence, he was saying the contest is not generally visible. The thing you're battling against, it's not generally right in front of your eyes. It's a spiritual thing. There are spiritual things that are happening that you cannot see. Now, that doesn't mean we should over-spiritualize everything. Every bad thing that happens to you is not a demon coming out from under a rock to attack you. But there are spiritual things that are happening that we do not see. And just like we can't see the enemy coming at us sometimes, God does his greatest work in the same realm, the spiritual realm, calling those things which do not exist as though they did. Romans 4 and 17 tells us that, that God does things and calls things, those things which do not exist as though 
they did. He can make it happen just like that. It's all happening in the spiritual realm. That's what faith is. But faith, faith is the realm in which we see things as God sees them. That's really what faith is about. Faith is whenever you can't see it, you just trust God that God has it under control. And then whenever you can see it, you lean into it without fear, not doubting, holding on to the promise of God in faith because God is doing something that even though it may not be visible right here and right now, it's already settled in time and settled in space and settled in a spiritual realm. Too often, we live life as this fellow. He had seen some amazing things in his lifetime. Amazing things. He was a servant to one of God's premier prophets of Israel, and he was there for the entire journey to witness this prophet overcoming people who resisted God speaking things that would happen and locking up heaven for years and people saying, when's it going to rain? He watched all of this. But his faith only went as far as his eyesight because when he saw it, he was amazed. But prior to seeing it, he lacked what we would call spiritual sight. He didn't have spiritual sight. So when the king of Syria sent troops for his master and they surrounded the city of Dothan where they were at, he was overwhelmed. And these troops had been sent because two times Elisha had thwarted the Syrians' attack by warning Israel where they would be, when they would attack, when no one else knew. The king thought, surely there's a spy in our midst that's telling the Israelites everything, but his men said, no, it's none of us. We'll tell you who it is. It's the prophet and he is telling them where you're going to attack. And so the king sent his army to surround Dothan, find out where he's at. And they surround the city. And all of a sudden, when it looks like there's no way out, and it looks like the army on the hill is going to take the city, and there's no chance that Elisha and the servant are going to escape, the servant says, what are we going to do? It all happens in 2 Kings chapter 6. Verse 16, Elisha answered, he says, Do not fear, for those who are with us are more than those who are with them. What are you talking about? The only person with you is me, and I'm not doing anything. He said, Don't fear. Those who are with us are more than those who are with them. Verse 17 said, Elisha prays and said, Lord, I pray open his eyes that he may see. What was wrong? He didn't have spiritual sight. He could only see what was going on in front of him. He could not see what God was already doing and had done, that God had brought armies around them, armies of the Lord to protect them. It says, then the Lord opened the eyes of the young man and he saw, behold, the mountain was full of horses and chariots of fire all around Elisha. The servant lacked spiritual sight. Here's the thing about spiritual sight. Spiritual sight comes with anointing. And anointing comes with prayer. 
You want spiritual sight and you want to be able to see what God is doing on the other side of the fleshly veil. You have got to tap into the Spirit of God through prayer. That's the only way it's going to happen. That's the only way we see miracles, signs, and wonders. It's the only way that we see God doing things in this world. When everyone else is looking around and panicking, it's what's happening. We say, God, you're working in this. You're in the middle of this. Help me to see what I cannot see. Just because we cannot see it does not mean it's not there. Hebrews 11, 1 and 2 addresses this. Now faith is the substance of things hoped for, the, thing, the evidence of things not seen. For by it the elders obtained a good testimony. That Greek word translated there as substance, it had a technical meaning in the business world of the first century. It referred to a person's property, their ownership, it was also used to refer to the body of documents that supported the owner in their ownership. The document was the record that would be filed and deposited in the archive, similar to the way we file deeds and titles of ownership today. So that document, faith is the title deed to answered prayer. That's what faith is. Faith is the title deed to answered prayer. Prayer, faith is the advance guarantee that you already own and possess the thing you have been praying for and hoping for within God's will. That's what faith is. It's clinging to. So if faith is the evidence, prayer is the submission of ownership. If you're clinging to it in faith, but you haven't prayed about it, you've never submitted the documents to God's record house. Faith is the title Prayer is submitting the title to the right authority. That's what prayer is. So you have to get an overcoming perspective about prayer. And the challenge of prayer is that we feel it does not have immediate impact. Am I the only one who thinks that sometimes? Sometimes we feel like prayer does not have an immediate impact. There's little usually no immediate results seen when we pray. Our mindset becomes, I'll act and then I'll pray. We value action over prayer. We become a doing people rather than a living people. We become doing people of action instead of people of prayer. We perceive prayer as wasted time or at least time spent in prayer as being less effective than maybe some other time that we could spend. And so we push prayer to be the last effort instead of the first effort. I've done all I can. Now I'm going to pray. You're guilty of it. I'm guilty of it. But prayer must shift from being the last resort to being the first thing, the most important thing, the thing that I do before I do anything else, I'm going to pray. I'm going to pray. I'm going to pray. Last week I preached about God's remedy for the unbearable and I used the burning incense as an example of prayer's effect on life. The book of Revelation gives a perspective of this and kind of ties together the incense with the prayers. 
God's perspective on the prayers of the saints are brought to us from there, the incense of the altar. Allow me to lay some groundwork for my next point and what I'm going to really preach. Revelation is written by John, if you don't know. John was in exile on the Isle of Patmos. And while he was in the Isle of Patmos, he records a vision that he has in a time of prayer. Revelation 1 through 3 each deal with representative churches that represent different types of people in God's kingdom and what God would desire for them and the results of the way that they approach God. Revelation 4 moves into heaven's throne room to give a glimpse of what's happening in heaven even right now. Revelation chapter 5 is a celebration of the redemption of the earth and the worthiness of the Lamb to begin the process of reclaiming creation. Revelation 6 is the opening of the six of, six of the seven vials, or seals, I'm sorry, not vials, seals, the beginning of terrible things that are going to happen in what we call the Great Tribulation. Revelation 7 introduces 144,000 Jews that will be saved as a remnant. Revelation 8, where I'm going, is the opening of the seventh seal. The seventh seal contains trumpets and vials that represent various events that are happening that quicken the pace toward Armageddon, begins to double, bringing us quickly to a resolution. It's all going to wrap up really quickly when we hit that point. Revelation 8 does not begin with the blowing of a trumpet. It doesn't begin with a vial being opened. It doesn't begin with any major event. But instead, what it begins with is a gathering of seven archangels who have trumpets in their hand that will be blown. And these seven angels are accompanied by one other angel who stands at the altar, the altar of incense. Let's read it real quick, Revelation 8, 1 through 6. When he opened the seventh seal, there was silence in heaven for about half an hour. And I saw the seven angels who stand before God, and to them were given seven trumpets. So get this picture in your mind. There's these angels, these archangels, seven trumpets in their hands. Then another angel, having a golden censer, came and stood at the altar. He was given much incense that he should offer it with the prayers of all the saints upon the golden altar, which was before the throne. The smoke of the incense with the prayers of the saints ascended before God from the angel's hand. And the angel took the censer, filled it with fire from the altar, and threw it to the earth. And there were noises, thunderings, lightnings, and earthquake. So the seven angels who had the seven trumpets prepared themselves to sound. But you notice these things. Verse 1, 30 minutes of silence. Complete silence. And these angels appear. This angel beside the altar appears. Silence. Something special is about to happen. Verse 2, those seven angels are given trumpets. Verse 3, another angel with a golden censer given much incense to be offered with the prayers of the saints. And verse 4, that smoke from the incense mingled with the prayers of the saints ascends before God. And the angel in verse 5 takes the censer, filled it with fire, threw it to the earth two results on earth and in heaven the earth there were noises thunderings lightnings and earthquakes and in heaven the angels prepared themselves to sound their trumpets there's a deep relationship between the prayers of the saints and the ministry of created beings of heaven 
It's presented all throughout Revelation. It's presented all throughout Scripture. There's a deep relationship between the prayers that you and I would pray and the ministry of all of heaven's created beings. And these seven angels called the angels of God's presence, or quite literally it's translated the angels of God's face. They stand before God and they minister and have been ministering. They have been active for 6,000 years ministering on behalf of people for God. They're not all named in the Bible. Two of them are named Michael and Gabriel. But ancient books of the Jews give their names and ministries. The first archangel who supervises all wars and conflicts of nations. That's his role. The second, is he preside, the second one presides over the spirits of men. And the third one, an angel who presides over various punishments dealt out to nations and humanity. Michael has the special guardianship over Israel and the relationship between Israel and other nations. Michael is referred to in this work, in, to doing this work in the book of Daniel. The next angel presides over transgressions and various degrees of disobedience. And then Gabriel. Gabriel supervises the church, paradise, and the spirits of the righteous dead. It was Gabriel who brought and heralded the, the message of Christ's birth. It was Gabriel who brought the message of the birth of John the Baptist. And it will be Gabriel who will blow the trumpet at the first resurrection. The final angel, the seventh angel, presides over frauds, deceptions, and intrigue. And they minister before God between man and God. That's what they do. That's the role that they serve. And so these angels with incredible power and influence are represented here, these seven angels standing before the throne of God, and they're put in their hands, trumpets, ready to call people, call God's things into action on earth. And there they hold those trumpets in their hands, ready to blow. For 6,000 years, they've been in service to half a man, and now they stand before the throne of God, and they're ready to bring the beginning of the end in the process. They're ready to go. Their lips are prepared to put the horn to their mouth. Everyone say power. They're operating in power. God-given power. Everyone say opportunity. They're operating in the opportunity that God has presented to them. These angels represent incredible power and opportunity that God has given to someone else that God is about to unleash on the earth. Another angel, not one of the inner circle, not one of the seven, definitely not named. He's not Michael, he's not Gabriel, and he's standing by the altar, golden censer in his hand with much incense and the prayers of all the saints, and he's not given a name anywhere in Scripture, but he's given prayers. That's what he's given. It may seem like to you and I that it's a small, menial task. He's just given the hand to hold his hand the prayers of the saints and hold in his hand the incense that's going to be presented on the altar and put in the censer. That's all he's doing. The trumpets, they're ready. The men of power and the angels are ready to blow. They're over there getting ready to do their great triumphant thing and blow a horn, but they're waiting. You know, if I were there, I would probably want to have one of those trumpets in my hand. 
The older I get, the more I realize I'm not as much a wallflower as I thought I was in high school. I kind of like being in the middle. I want to be in the middle of the fight, the battle. It's fun. It's intense. So when I think about this, I think, man, I would want to have one of those horns in my hand. I'd want to be the guy blowing that trumpet. I'd probably be getting some breathing exercises getting my chest expanded, getting the air in my lungs. I'm ready to blast that trumpet. Give me the word, God. I'm ready to go. I'm ready to unleash whatever wrath you want. Let's do this thing, God. Let's wrap this up. I'm going to make it happen. You may be thinking the same thing. But notice, no horn is blown until the prayer Nothing else that's going to happen in this scene will happen until the one with the prayer shows up. Everything else that will happen, the trumpets, the vials, anything else, it all hangs on one angel carrying some prayers. All this power in this room, all this authority that's been dispensed, all of the opportunity that's put into the hand of those seven angels, trumpets in their hands, 6,000 years of service in ministering in front of the face of God, acting in service on the behalf of men, all of this glory, they can't do anything till the guy with the prayer arrives. Because when it comes to spiritual things, everything waits on prayer. When it comes to spiritual things, everything waits on prayer. I imagine those large angels waiting, horns in their hands. You know who shows up? Probably the smallest angel in heaven. Probably not even full-grown angel. Probably just a little kid angel. Shows up, walking in there gets a censer, stands by the altar. Go ahead, God. Tell me when. God says, right now, I want those prayers. I want to see those prayers. I want to hear those prayers. Open up those prayers. Mix it. Mingle it with the incense. And that smoke rises up in the face of God. And God says, now, now all you guys who have been waiting on him to get here and for this to happen now, you, oh, I feel the presence of God right now. Prayer sets aside every other power that is in existence. The law of nature can be set aside by prayer. Prayer appeals to a divine law that is higher than everything else. And true prayer is immortal. When you pray that prayer, it's going to a vial in heaven. And it's waiting for God to say, now, I release it. Go do it right now. Prayers long forgotten that you prayed in the past that you can't even remember. They continue to resonate in heaven right now before God and God has never forgotten a single one of them. Prayer makes something happen. When the angel sets the collective prayers of the saints on fire, using fire to take from the altar, the prayers cast into the earth. There were voices and thunderings and lightnings and an earthquake. All of heaven was let loose on earth and that is what happened. There's a connection between the prayers of the saints and action in heaven. If you want God to do something 
on your side of the aisle, then you need to pray. That's what you need to do. Prayer has a cumulative impact. It's not prayer that impacts the earth. It is the prayer, plural, of the saints, plural. Saints from generation after generation after generation accumulating in heaven. I wonder how big that vial is. I wonder what, why could John not write down this angel came in dragging this vial. You should have seen how large the vial was. And it had all of the prayers of the saints from all the generations. Every prayer that was ever prayed in that vial. The Alps. Snow falls on the Alps for many years. Year follows year. Snow just keeps piling up higher and higher. Until finally one day the mountaintops are so covered with many feet of snow that on some spring morning the snow will begin to melt just a little bit and the weight is so great that it slips from the mountaintop and forms a huge avalanche that will destroy everything in its path, rolling down the mountainside, crushing everything. That's the power of prayer. In Revelation, when the prayers which saints have prayed throughout time are opened, they're going to unleash a judgment time on this world. There will be a terrible outpouring of wrath upon all of the people who are ever responsible for the martyred saints of God. That's what's going to happen. A deluge has been stored up is waiting for an appointed time and it's all backed by the prayers of God that have accumulated. And when God says it's time, that angel's going to walk in and he's going to open that vial and the prayers are going to mingle with the incense and God's going to say, now, now fulfill it they've been praying they've been asking now it's time for me to act why not have your prayers start an avalanche of revival in your family why not have your prayers start an avalanche of miracles why not have your prayers start an avalanche of what God is going to do in branches church why not have your prayers be the thing that trigger off the signs and the wonders and miracles and everything that God is going to do why not have those prayers be the prayers that bring an anointing on this place that when people walk in the door they don't say this is just another church they say this church is unlike anything else I've ever seen or been in when I walked in the door there was just a presence that was there. I can't explain it. I don't know what's going on, but you need to go check out that church. Something is happening over there. Praying parents see their lost children saved. That's what happens whenever they pray and they pray and they pray. And I know I'm talking to some parents that you've been praying for your children. You will see it. It will happen. Don't be weary and well-doing. You keep praying. You keep saying those prayers. Every one of those prayers is another opportunity for the avalanche to break forward praying children see their parents their lost parents saved praying spouses see their lost spouse saved prayer works prayer works ask the centurion and his servant matthew 8 5 through 10 now when jesus had entered capernaum a centurion came to him pleading with him, saying, Lord, my servant is lying at home paralyzed, dreadfully tormented. And Jesus said to him, I will come and heal him. The centurion answered and said, No, 
Lord, I am not worthy that you should come under my roof, but only speak a word. My servant will be healed. For I also am a man under authority, having soldiers under me. And I say to this one, go, and he goes. And to another, come, and he comes. And to my servant, do this, and he does it. When Jesus heard it, he marveled and said to those who followed, Assuredly, I say to you, I have not found such great faith, not even in Israel. What was it? centurion trusted that if Jesus prayed, it would happen. He had faith in Jesus and faith in prayer. You just speak it. You just say it. Prayer works. Prayer works. You can ask Peter. In Acts chapter 12, Peter was therefore kept in prison, but constant prayer was offered to God for him by the church. And when Herod was about to bring him out, that night Peter was sleeping, bound with two chains between two soldiers, and the guards before the door were keeping the prison. Now behold, an angel of the Lord stood by him, and a light shone in the prison, and he struck Peter on the side, raised him up, saying, Arise quickly. His chains fell off his hands. Peter knows prayer works. Verse 11 and 12 of chapter 12 says, When Peter had come to himself, he said, Now I know for certain that the Lord has sent his angel and has delivered me from the hand of Herod from all the expectation of the Jewish people. So when he had considered this, he came to the house of Mary, the mother of John, whose surname was Mark, where many were gathered together. What were they doing? Praying, because prayer works. Prayer works. And you keep praying like the widow presenting her case to the judge that Jesus spoke of in Luke chapter 18. She would not quit. She just kept asking and seeking and wanting to get a judgment. And that judge who did not see God, he did not honor God, he did not fear God, he turned and he bent to this widow and the widow's troubles. He said, unless she just keeps coming, she's going to weary me out. The Lord said in verse 6, hear what the unjust judge said. Shall not God, shall God not avenge his own elect who cry out day and night to him, though he bears long with them? I'm talking to someone today. If you want to tip the life in your, if you want to tip the scale in your life, prayer. If you want to have things change, prayer. It's time to make a commitment to prayer, daily prayer. It may be your first time ever committing that you're going to pray in such a way, but commit. You'll tip the scale. You'll start an avalanche of revival in your life. Commit and see how prayer will change your life. Commit to being at service 30 minutes before we start for prayer. We're going to turn these two rooms over here into prayer rooms that's, that happen before service because we need to pray. We have got to be praying. Something started whenever we had that prayer meeting two weeks ago, and we're not going to stop it. We're going to keep on praying, praying, praying. Prayer is going to become the thing. Praying saints, praying leaders, praying musicians, praying singers, praying teachers, praying volunteers. Prayer should be the first volunteer position in the church. You don't have to have any 
position. You don't have to have any talent, any skill. You just get down and pray. As long as you're fervent about it, God will hear that prayer. And that prayer will be immortalized for all of eternity. And God will open the floodgates of heaven on you and your family and let that prayer work on your behalf. The unseen power of prayer. There's a lot of things in this world that we glorify. Valerie's coming. Musician's going to come help me. There's a lot of things that we glorify. A lot of things that we think are very honorable. God does not see from our perspective. The widow's might was the most given. That's to be honored and glorified. Not the guy who walked in and maybe gave all the property in the world that he had and said, I'm selling off for my wealth and I'm going to I'm going to give this to the church. No, that widow's might. She gave out of everything sacrifice. And a sacrifice of prayer is what God is going to honor. It's the things that are unseen, the unseen power of prayer that God works on and God uses. Today, I'm, I'm blessed. I'm a blessed father. My family is blessing me with some great things. And a little bit later today, for those of you who don't know, don't, I'm going to offend some people right here, right now. If I haven't offended you with my preaching on prayer, I'm probably going to offend you with my chosen sports team. Um, I'm blessed. I'm going to take my son to a baseball game a little bit later today. I'm excited about it. It's going to be fun. You know why? Because the Braves are probably going to get beat by the Cardinals. That's why. I'm just going to tell you. (laughs) No, it hasn't. It's been a rough time. But I'm going today, so it's going to happen. (laughs) I'm a Cardinals fan, a big fan. I enjoy them. And there's nothing wrong with enjoying the entertainment the world has to offer unless it's all you do. But nothing that happens on that field today, nothing. And I don't care what they do. I don't know if they have to create a new stat for whatever happens there. It will not compare to any one of us in here today that said a prayer. It won't. Prayer is the only thing outside of our souls that will be immortalized. And if you're not praying, you're not leaving anything in heaven that is going to stack up and become the avalanche of the thing you've been praying and wanting for. You can want all you want. You can hope for it as much as you want to. But unless you turn in the title and the deed to your faith in prayer, it will not happen. It has to be submitted to the authority that's in heaven. Would you make a commitment of prayer with me today for prayer? Would you commit to praying every day? Even if I'm just going to make it five, ten minutes, I've got to have prayer every day. It's got to happen. Every week, I'm going to pray. Whenever we call for prayer at church, I'm going to commit to showing up for prayer. Whenever we have pre-service prayer, I'm going to go. I'm going to be part of what God is doing through my prayers. You may not have anything else to offer, but you can pray. And you have a lot to offer. Everyone in here has a lot to offer. But I'd rather you offer prayer than anything else. We have got to be a praying people. Would you stand with me? 
I wonder if we would take a moment right now and pray. God, you see every person that is here. God, you see every weight that they came in with on their heart. God, we understand, Lord, the power of prayer. We understand it's not just nothing whenever we say those prayers. We're not just throwing something up in the air and it's just coming back down. But whenever we pray, we're putting it in your hand and you're going to do something with it. God, so we submit right now, Lord, to committing to prayer. God, help us to pray. Help us to draw closer to you with our prayers. Help us, God, to pray in all faith, Lord, fervently seeking after you. God, that you would minister through us, in us, to us. God, I pray in Jesus' name, in Jesus' name. Church family, as she plays, she begins to sing. Let's gather to the front, give God an opportunity to speak to us. Maybe you have some prayer on your heart that you want to present to the Lord today. Or maybe you just want to come and make a commitment. God, I'm going to make some dedication in my life to prayer. I'm going to take what I have been doing and I'm going to put